Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, intuitive medium, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created this show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. The definition of magic ranges from a concept used to describe a way of thinking which favors invisible forces that influence events, affect change, or present an illusion of change, to a power which allows people, namely witches, wizards, and magicians, to make the impossible possible by saying special words or performing special acts. Perhaps one of these special words we all know is abracadabra. Abra stemming from the Aramaic equivalent of the Hebrew word agra, meaning I will create, and kadabra stemming from the Aramaic equivalent of the Hebrew word kidubar, meaning as we spoken. Therefore saying, I will create as has been spoken, alluding to the power and magic words carry all on their own. Abracadabra was first published in the second century as a cure for fever known today as malaria. Magic has gone through a long history of being sought out, valued, and heavily relied upon to eventually being condemned, ridiculed, and dismissed. The first historical evidence of magic points to an Egyptian papyrus dating back to around 2500 BCE, which portrays a magician named Dedi performing an animal decapitation trick for a pharaoh. Several Egyptian stories highlight magicians who also made prophecies as well as Egyptians are said to be the first to use and bury a voodoo doll to bring upon harsh treatment from Osiris in the afterlife. For the ancient Greeks, magic involved spells, deadly poisons, enhancing drugs, amulets, love potions, and curse tablets. Binding is said to have been a popular act of magic in which thin thin lead tablets were inscribed with a curse against an enemy which was then folded, sealed, and pierced with a nail, and then placed in graves or bodies of water, essentially asking the gods to bind to their intended target. Amulets were inscribed with incantations or prayers to help cure ailments or offer protection. Even Socrates is said to have cured headaches by the use of a special leaf, followed by a spoken spell. The ancient Romans adopted much of what the Greeks did, but also brought in magic's entertainment factor. A group of traveling magicians called the Achetta Bellari maintained magic and performed the cup and balls trick for roughly 250 years. From 400 to 1500 CE, the history of magic is said to have been connected with the occult and focused on alchemy, spells, and rituals to banish, heal, prosper, and protect. Jewish magic, or practical Kabbalah, emerged in the 12th century CE, although many argue it dates back as early as the Hebrew Bible. The Kabbalah is a set of esoteric teachings meant to explain the relationship with the unchanging or the infinite and the mortal finite universe. Magic has also been passed down through various other cultures around the world, as seen, for example, in the shamanic traditions of Eurasia, indigenous America, and Africa. After an intense period of hunting and killing people for their involvement with magic came the birth of a new thriving era, one filled with innovative thinking and renewed creative self-expression, the Renaissance period. Magic during the Renaissance was no longer punished nor forbidden. It became highly favored once again and was just as prevalent a study as science is today. Renaissance magic brought about natural magic, or the mechanisms in nature whose method of operation were occult, hidden, or distinctly obscured from a practical understanding of nature. At the same time modern magic was born in 1845 with Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin, a new form of occult magic, or spiritualism, was becoming popular as well. By 1850, the Fox Sisters of New York grew to become famous mediums performing public seances in several large U.S. cities. By the 1880s, more and more mediums came forward. Throughout history, people have sought solace and comfort in magic, specifically occult magic, in times of great despair, especially during wars and plagues. It is no wonder a rebirth of magic occurred, especially after the Civil War and the infectious spread of cholera in the U.S., 
Magic has always been an alluring element of human behavior, alluring in the sense that we view it as a superpower, one which we seem to think exists in only a select few. Our collective desire for magic has created envy, which has led to historical acts of rage in order to eradicate it. It has evoked mass fear for the possibility of it becoming a force larger than humankind and therefore uncontrollable, as well as unexplainable. In hopes that we will forget about it, conform, and only rely upon that which we can see and explain, we have subsequently dismissed it. Ironically, however, in the end, it is our own search outside of us for something we crave so much, which has simply pushed it further from our reach. But magic is not something which exists outside of us, nor is it found in a select few. It is a part of each and every one of us. It is the beautiful balance between our conscious thoughts and our subconscious feelings, which can make positive changes to our reality. It is our participation in the universe and our connection to divinity. Magic is a higher understanding of ourselves, nature, the cosmos, and our place in it. Without it, we float in limbo, disconnected. As author Rual Dahl said, those who don't believe in magic will never find it. Today on Love from the Hip, it is my esteemed pleasure to have Maya Toll here with us. Maya is an award-winning and best-selling author who will share her journey with magic from her latest book, Letting Magic In. She will also reveal wisdom she gained at some of her high points in life as well as some of her lows, touch on insight from her other books, including The Three Medicine Kingdoms, and so much more. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R.com. Has your life been interrupted? Has the carpet been pulled out from under you? Have you had to pivot, start something new, start over from scratch, or create something completely new? You're not alone. Come hear stories of others just like you. It's a brand new podcast called Interrupted Act Two, Reinventing Your Legacy with Coach Lori on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Do you wonder why you repeat behaviors that don't serve you? Do you struggle with self-love? Are you intimidated by situations where you want to stand up for yourself but can't? If any of those resonate with you, you may be living someone else's story. This can lead to dysfunctional relationships, emotional shutdowns, and regrets. Every part of your life may be a reflection of someone else's story. It's time to live your life. In 2005, spiritual life coach Jeanette Dames realized she was living other people's stories. She recreated her life to live her story and love, joy, peace, health, and prosperity showed up. From this deep transformation, Jeanette has developed a six-week coaching program to help you create your life your way. She can help you make it a dazzling reality. It's time to let go of what you absorbed from others and create the life you want. Visit riverangelranch.com for more information. That's R-I-V-E-R-A-N-G-E-L-R-A-N-C-H.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip. That's HYP, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Maya Toll on my show. Maya is an award-winning and best-selling author and founder of the Herbiary Retail Stores. Hi, Maya. Thanks for joining us today. 
I am so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing this topic in. I love talking about magic. <laughs> so speaking well, of so do I. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of magic, what does magic mean to you? You know, it was it was fascinating listening to your brief but spectacular history of magic right there. Thank that was you. Um, <laughs> that was really a great introduction, and I think that. What came clear to me listening to you is there have been so many definitions of magic through time. Right. And even now, when I hear people talking about magic, talking about being a witch or some of the other terms people are using to describe their practice, um, we're all really thinking of it in slightly different ways. And so for me, I'm of the kind of natural magic bent. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I get a lot of my spiritual grounding from nature. Mm -hmm. And so the connection between spirituality and nature is where I find this thing called magic. And for me, it's ultimately about connection. So, you know, I, I truly believe and have seen so much evidence um, during the course of my life that we are on a web mm -hmm. and we are connected to everything around us. And those filaments that connect us are, are often invisible, but we can feel them. We call it intuition. Right. And, right. And so to me, magic is really allowing yourself to feel those filaments because after you feel them, then you can start to tweak them. Right. Right. Like uh -huh. if you're, if you're aware of a connection, then you can say, oh, okay, I'm going to strengthen that connection or I'm going to move away from that connection. I'm going to snip that connection. Um, and that's like when we talk about energy medicine, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about feeling out those filaments, those connections, mm -hmm. and then manipulating them a little bit. That's awesome. And then once you're more aware of these connections, they start coming in more, correct? Yeah. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's kind of like when you're tuning a radio mm -hmm. and, you know, like you get closer and closer and closer to the station. And once you really land on it, you can hear everything. <laughs> so intuition is the same way it's you know you're circling it you're like mm, i think a little bit and then Zero and then it. it lines up and exactly. you're like that's it got it <laughs> love that analogy so what was your first experience with magic oh this is a tough one because i you know i think that we have many experiences when we're quite young mm -hmm. and then we forget them we move away from them so, you know, going, going by my definition that magic is a form of connection, one of the earliest things I can remember is um, I would hear something and I remember I'd, I'd go crying to my parents mm -hmm. um, because it sounded like a record played on a super fast speed. Hmm. So, I, you know, I'd hear something that in my head sounded like... Nah, 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 nah. Um, and I, I think that that was a very early connection that I was making that my brain didn't know what to do with that I was you know I was too young and I didn't have people around me to explain what was going on to kind of say to me right yeah to say like okay hold on what are you tuning into um, because when we start asking ourselves those questions what is it that you think you're hearing what are you tuning into you know you begin to be able to parse it out it's like tuning the radio mm -hmm. um but no one no one around me was able to ask me those questions and so and just um, to be it more, became something that sorry just to be more specific you were tuning into beyond the veil i have no idea because yeah. i was like like i said i was too young to know to ask myself questions and to right. really start to ferret out mm -hmm. what i was tuning into um you know, I think if that were to happen to me now, I would get still and I'd start saying to myself, okay, is this something within my body? Is this something within my home? Mm -hmm. Is this an animal? Is this a plant? Like I would start asking questions and feeling for the rightness right. of the answer. Right, exactly. Um, and then I'd also start trying to direct the experience because really what's happening is we have information coming in through a zillion sensors in the body. I actually heard someone say recently that the fascia 
the fascia system of the mm-hmm. body, which is kind of like a very thin layer that is overlays your muscles. I, this is not metaphysical. This is physical. Um, I heard someone saying that that's actually our intuitive system, that it's picking up all kinds of things that, um, you know, we're not 100% aware of. And brain science tells you that your brain filters out a zillion things a day that you just don't have the bandwidth to take in. Right. So, you know, right. So all those things that come in that your brain's like, "Eh, you don't need this information (laughs) right now. It's too much. They get kind of shunted to the Right. But when you can pull them forward and start questioning them and then start working with your own perception and saying like, okay, I can, I know something's coming in, but I don't understand it. Can I, can I get this in another way? Can we slow this down? Can we, you know, Mm -hmm. you can begin to direct your brain to give you that information in another way. And I love how you mentioned that's what I would do now. (laughs) I, I love that. And I love how you mentioned asking the questions as you're receiving the information. I love that. So let's discuss your latest beautiful book, Letting Magic In. Why did you decide to write it? And who would you say it's for? You know, I, I have been what I, what I have called a writer without a story for most of my life. Um, I started writing when I was eight or nine and um, never really had a story that was my own. You know, if I go back to a lot of my writings from when I was young, I can actually now see what books I was riffing on you know like I, I'd write a story and I'd be like this is my story and it was like no actually that's the borrowers with different characters um, right. you know so right so um I was so excited when I I realized that I could write nonfiction. I'm a fiction reader I didn't even like nonfiction wasn't on my radar at all mm-hmm. so um my first books were nonfiction about plants, animals, crystals. Those are the three ancient medicine kingdoms. Um, But the one story that I had that I kind of knew was mine, I knew that I hadn't borrowed it, Yeah, (laughs) Um, was the story of my time leading into a really transformative moment when I decided to give up my life as an elementary school teacher, sell my house, and go study with an herbalist in Ireland. And so that was like, it was there, it was hanging there as this fruit I wanted to pluck, but I didn't have the writing chops at first. Mm-hmm. So um, it, took, it took some time to get to the point where I could tell the story in the way that I wanted to tell it. Right. Because for me, the goal was to um, lay down a breadcrumb trail for anyone coming behind. So that they would know that these spiritual experiences are not unusual or bizarre, even though they feel really strange in your body when you're having them. Um, people don't have the same spiritual experience, which which is why I think it's very hard for us to discuss these things. Right. Uh-huh. Like when we try to right when we try to explain like the exact vision we had or the dream we had. It sounds like gobbledygook to other people because we all have our own personal set of symbols. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to find a way to tell the story in a way that felt universal, even though it was about me. And if you've read spiritual memoirs, a lot of them are, I mean, unfortunately, they're they're drac, they're unreadable because the person is so in their own experience Mm -hmm. that if you don't have the same symbol system, you can't relate to it. So the challenge of this book was finding a way to lay down a path that anyone on a spiritual journey could follow and recognize pieces of themselves mm-hmm. um, so that they could feel less alone. Ultimately, that's the goal, yeah. to help people to feel less alone. I love that. And I, I, I having read it, <laughs> I found it very <laughs> relatable. So I appreciate that. And I imagine that's also hard, like you were saying, is to make it universal right? Because it is your own journey. So there were times where you were really feeling the magic. And then there were times where you were kind of dismissing it. And you were living outside of New York City during 9-11, correct? Yeah. Yes. So what what made you second guess magic during that time? And how did you turn that around? (laughs) Well, you know, I think that for me, what I was working on it, 
during that period was connecting with my own intuition. And so to have an event as huge as 9-11 happen and to have no clue, you know, to be standing under a bright blue sky thinking it's the most gorgeous day in the world. Um, I was teaching fourth grade. I had my kids outside sitting on the hill doing a science experiment um, when the fighter jets started flying over from from Stewart Air Force Base, which was our local Air Force Base going down to New York City. Um, and so to, to be at the beginning stages of tuning in and feeling like, oh yeah, I'm getting this. I'm starting to connect to the world around me. And then to have an event this huge happen and like, I didn't have any forewarning. I didn't have any prescience about this. Um, it really made me think like, okay, this is all crap. You're, you're making this up. Um, obviously, you don't know anything if you know, the Twin Towers can <laughs> fall down and you have no clue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really, right, it really, it really took me some time to um, begin to um, understand what intuition does and what it doesn't do. Mm-hmm. And also to understand that you really don't want to be tuned into what I call disaster radio. Yeah. You know, I, I, I worked myself to the point where I was tuning into all sorts of things and I'd have the, you know, I'd, I'd wake up from a dream of a plane crashing and mm-hmm. my husband and I would get on the internet and we'd try to figure out if that ha- had happened. Um, and oftentimes it had. And after, after doing that for a bit, I was like, okay, I now realize that I can do this, but why do I want to? Yeah, that's exactly. Like, why do I want to, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I really started reeling it back in. Like, what does it make sense to be aware of? Mm. And you stop you know, focusing. What's useful? Yeah. And so you stop focusing yeah. on disasters. I stopped focusing on disasters. I stopped focusing on things that um, were really kind of beyond my my social scope, mm-hmm. you know, like if I, if I'm not going to be able to do anything about it, then listening to 17 radio stations at once doesn't make a lot of sense. That's right. crazy making. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's one thing if like, if you were listening and like, it's like the police scanner and you could be dispatching people out mm-hmm. and actually doing something about it, that's, that's fabulous. But if all you're doing is causing yourself anxiety, to prove that you are intuitive, that's a pretty silly thing to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just tiring. <laughs> so you mentioned Very some, tiring. You mentioned some great influential people upon your path, Gail, your acupuncturist being one of them. And you had alluded to magic being connection earlier on this interview. So how did Gail help you to understand that not the non-physical messages your body was receiving? How did Gail help you to understand, to connect with your body? So Gail was an acupuncturist. So she was working on my body. And, you know, she was really like drawing a map on my body with needles because those needles connect one to the other. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first things I learned to feel was the connection between those needles. Right. And so it was like, it's like a, like a training program for your body and your brain. Um, she would put in a needle and I would tell her where I felt it. Mm. There's a lot of times she'd put, like, she'd put a needle in my hand and I'd be like, oh, I feel that in my opposite knee. And she'd be like, excellent. That's your gallbladder meridian. I'm making this up. If you're an acupuncturist, I'm sorry if I'm <laughs> butchering you're doing a good job. Um, okay. the meridians. <laughs> um, but, you know, the... The idea that your body is connected, that you have meridians running through your body that are connecting different points, Mm -hmm. and that you can actually feel that connection begins to build a muscle. And from there, you know, I was able to kind of expand that outward. And so you shared some of the things in your book that you were feeling in your body, like you described an itch in your nose meant a pending fight. How did you, or, or at what point did you get to where, you know, this is really what this means for me? Yeah, so I come from um, a very huh, university degree-centric family. You know, I, I have 
more college credits than any human should have. And so for me, I, I tend to follow an almost scientific method, you know, with even these things that are, that, that seem far from scientific. And I say that they seem far from scientific because as we get into quantum mechanics and, and things, um, magic and science are pretty closely related. Yes. Uh, once you, you know, once you get into some of these more speculative sciences. So I, I tracked things. Um, I used my journals and I, I tracked things over time. Mm -hmm. And that's still what I do if I'm experiencing something new or learning something new. I just take notes mm -hmm. um, so that I can go back and, and see like, oh, look, this happened on these three days. And these other things also happened on these three days. Now I'm going to pay attention to that and see if it continues. Right. Um, and we're already doing so that with food logs, right? <laughs> we're already yes. programmed to do yeah. that. That's great. Yep, it's exactly like a food log, but you do it with, with everything else. I mean, it's the way I learned to feel into moon cycles. Mm -hmm. You know, I just tracked how I felt yeah. on, on the new moon, on the quarter moon, on the full moon. Um, and over months, I could look back and see the patterns. Mm -hmm. Now, why do you think so many of us often dismiss what's happening in our body or the feelings that we're having? It's Descartes' fault. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Descartes, Descartes convinced us, Descartes was a, was a philosopher, that the body and the mind are separate things. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they're not. You know, modern science has, has even shown us that a lot of the function that we attributed to our brains happens in our gut. It's called the enteric brain. Mm -hmm. A lot of the hormones and uh, nerve receptors that we had thought for, for many years were part of our mental makeup are actually part of our digestive makeup. So, um, you know, I, I think putting our body and our mind back together is key. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for sharing that. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny up next and more Love from the Hip. On this Weekly Skinny, aside from fashion from the 90s or grunge being back in style, eyebrows from the 90s are also trending. That's right, those barely there brows are back and have been since 2022, leaving the desire for bushy brows back in 2021. Certain celebrities like supermodel Bella Hadid are credited for bringing them back. Even Harper's Bazaar labeled it a beauty trend for the summer of 2023. InStyle says they are indeed back, but with a modern twist. Remember all of the tweezing we did in order to create those pencil-thin brows? Even worse, do you remember how unflattering the look of those parentheses were? Not to mention how hard it was to grow your brows back when fuller brows came back in style. Well, this modern twist that InStyle refers to entails not completely thinning the brows, but instead tightening them up and sculpting them. Brow lamination is a popular service right now claiming to do just that. This brow treatment is a great alternative to microblading since it is not semi-permanent and does not involve needles. Instead, this keratin treatment includes brow shaping, a setting product to obtain the client's desired shape. And lastly, a neutralizer is used to set the brows in place. The price for lamination can be anywhere from $80 to $300 and is said to last four to eight weeks. The downside of brow lamination is the potential risk of skin irritation, as well as ruining the health of the brow hairs due to the chemicals used. Not to mention, there is also a chance the product used in the treatment could thin the brow hairs over time, especially if done frequently. In addition to brow lamination, many people are resorting to using makeup, cleverly placing concealer on unwanted hairs, and applying a highlighter under the brow to lift the brow and give it a cleaner appearance. Others are also rubbing white eye pencil onto a mascara wand and brushing it over their brows. This whitens the hair and cancels out the color of their natural brow hair, creating a thinner appearance. To ensure extra lasting holding power, brow gels and setting powders are applied as a finishing step. At least this new barely there brow trend is not permanent and one can easily switch over to a more bushy brow. Perhaps they have learned from watching our generation who are sadly still trying to regrow our overplucked 90s eyebrows. 
Welcome back to Left from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just tuning in, I am chatting with Maya Toll on her inspirational new book, Letting Magic In. So Maya, you get really vulnerable in your book and you discuss your abortion. Kudos to you because we women need a space to talk more about this. What was happening in your body afterwards and what did you do to help you move through those emotions that your body was carrying yeah so you know the abortion was really an important turning point for me in terms of coming to understand that my body experienced things um, that my mind didn't necessarily like that that didn't necessarily line up Mm. so um nine months nine months after having the abortion, well, actually nine months after getting pregnant. So, you know, a shorter period after having the the abortion, um, I developed an ovarian cyst Mm. and it was negligible according to medical standards. Um, But I was in intense pain, like the kind of pain that a woman would go through if she were, say, having a baby. Right. And and that's when I started working with my acupuncturist, Gail, um, to, to work through that pain. And it was actually Gail who helped me figure out that we were at the nine month mark. Mm. And so that, you know, my body was going through a process, um, even though my mind had really moved, moved along. I was a person who had never intended to have children and, um, I got pregnant on what should have been a quote safe day, but but it wasn't. Um, and I had Lyme disease at the time, and I was on tons of antibiotics. Mm. So you know the the whole experience for me at that point was like so discombobulated um, between the Lyme disease, which in and of itself is really difficult to deal with, and the the high dose antibiotics um, and the pregnancy. So. I, mentally, I, I put it behind me very, like, very quickly. Like, okay, we are just moving on from this extremely uncomfortable moment in time. Um, but my my body still had a process to go through. My mm-hmm. body wasn't wasn't done. Um, and you know, this was a revelation for me. This this understanding that my body could hold an emotion, that my body could start a process that it needed to complete. Um, so I, I came up with a ritual mm-hmm. and this would kind of be like the, the beginning of me using ritual to shift my, my own emotions, to shift things in my body. Right. Um, I called all my girlfriends and we did a tree planting. And we treated it like a baby shower. Um, I got a little a little witch hazel tree, which I chose intuitively and found out later that witch hazel is um, a plant used by midwives to um, stop excessive bleeding. Wow. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So we planted little hazelton and um, everyone brought gifts. Like, just like it was a baby shower, we, we read the giving tree and, um, amazingly the ovarian pain just turned off. The ovarian pain went away. The the ovarian pain just turned off. It just went away right afterwards. Wow. Wow. And I think that happens a lot when people overcome a great illness is their mind is already over it, but their body is still carrying memory, right? Body memory from it. And so, yeah, having a ritual is is a helpful way, would you say, to overcome that? It's a it's a really helpful way. I think it lets it it lets you integrate what's going on in your body with what's going on in your mind. And ritual gives us a way of acting something out in the world hmm. instead of just thinking about it. You know, we get to go through physical motions, and I think by doing something physical, we're integrating our body into the process in a way that we're not when we're simply like writing in our journal. Right, exactly. So now, how did you end up in Ireland? Let's talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, through this process, um, 
with the abortion and then 9-11 and working with Gail and really beginning to understand um, that I was a part of nature, mm. that you know I was connected to the natural world and that I wasn't separate from it, I was a part of it. Um, the natural world became the basis for my spiritual practices. So when I noticed that things in my life were falling away, um, a job that I counted on for the mortgage um, with a nonprofit suddenly realized that they had misbalanced the books by a whole decimal. So they thought they had $99,000 in wow. the bank, but they had $9,900 in the <laughs> bank. And um, they cut my position like effective immediately. Hmm. Um, soon after that, my roommates, one after the other, decided to move out, one to move in with her boyfriend, the other to move back to Manhattan. And I, you know, I, I was in this place where I was watching everything fall away. And I realized that I had a choice that I could just quickly try to rebuild exactly what I had, get another job, get more roommates. Or I could look to the natural world and say like, hold on a sec, where are we in the cycle of things? Hmm. You know, oh, okay, this is not a building time. This is not spring. This is, this is autumn. Letting go. And letting go. And trying to tape all the leaves back on the tree is <laughs> not going to work. <laughs> so um, I decided like, well, what would happen if instead of resisting the change, I actively stepped into it. What would happen if I helped the change to mm -hmm. happen? And so um, I decided to sell my house. I was like, well, if I don't have the means to pay the mortgage, then the logical solution is to sell the house. Yeah. And um, I was living in this small town in upstate New York that had gotten uh, – a museum recently. One of the New York City museums had opened a sculpture center. And all of a sudden, my little town was on the map and my house had tripled in value. Wow. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was an elementary school teacher and I did not make a lot of money. I taught at private schools. Um, so I suddenly was going to have like three years worth of salary in the bank. Amazing. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> what do I, what do I want to do with this? And I decided to give myself a sabbatical to give myself a year off. Um, and I had no, like, I did not have something I wanted to do and therefore decided to sell the house. It was the other direction. I decided to sell the house because that seemed to be, where I was being pulled. Mm -hmm. um, so I sat down and I made a list of everything I'd ever been interested in. Herbalism, pottery, photography. Um, it was like a three-page list. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do with that list. I was like, okay, this is a lot of stuff. What do I do? Um, and one night I had a dream. And in the dream, a woman flew me over the ocean and she took me to an island. It was heavily wooded, but I, I knew it was Ireland. Yeah. It's just one of those like gut feelings. Like, <laughs> oh, that's Ireland. Um, before it became all fields and, uh, you know, the, the lumber was taken down. So um, I, I searched. I didn't Google search because Google didn't even exist yet. It, I think it was Alta Vista was my search engine of choice. And I um, did a search and I did Ireland Plus photography, Ireland plus pottery, Ireland plus herbalism. And um, I kept getting this one one woman, this very witchy looking woman, which totally turned <laughs> me off. Um, <laughs> you know, sitting with her long red hair in front of a fireplace. Um, and I did the same search day after day, and the same woman kept popping up. And then she happened to have a two month herbal training, um, starting like at exactly the right time. And so I signed up. Wow. And then you ended up staying even longer, correct? Yeah. So after two months, I begged her to keep me. <laughs> <laughs> now, how did your relationship with plants and the earth change through your studies in Ireland? 
you know, my time in Ireland was incredibly lonely. Um, I was with my teacher on a farm in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. So as I was studying the plants, um, I was spending a lot of time with the, you know, out in the fields and collecting and harvesting and just kind of naturally, I started to talk to them hmm. because I didn't really have anybody else to talk to. Yeah. Um, and what I realized was that while they did not respond to me in language, I would get a feeling, um, you know, a feeling in response to the feeling behind the words that I was using to talk to them. So I think that that period of loneliness, that period of relying on the natural world, not just for the medicines that I was making, but for my social life, um, was super important. Yeah, and it helps you to create that relationship even more so. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, with that, we're going to take another quick break, but don't go anywhere. Love from the Hip will be right back. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H dot com. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. Mystic Journeys invites you to an innovative nine-day spiritual retreat in the heart of Tulum, Mexico. Join them this fall from November 9th to November 17th, 2023 for a unique blend of guided tours and spiritual workshops. From the beachside villa, they'll explore the ancient ruins and stunning beauty of the Mayan Riviera. In their workshops, expert facilitators will help you develop your spiritual gifts, increase your vitality, and invite synchronicity into your life. Learn how to embody Qigong, astrology, seven sacred flame meditation, sound healing, and ancestral indigenous teachings from a local spiritual elder. Space is limited to 12 participants. To see the full itinerary and apply, visit harmonhealing.com. That's H-A-R-M-O-N healing.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just joining us, the lovely Maya Toll is here to share her journey with magic and bestow some of her wonderful wisdom upon all of you. So Maya, how has your life changed after letting magic in? Oh, well, you know, since since the, the book came out, which was recently, not much, but since letting magic into my life, um, everything has changed. You know, when I first went to Ireland, I thought, oh, I'll go, I'll go for two months and then I'll bounce to some other thing I want to study and kind of bounce around for a year and then back to work. Um, but instead I ended up, you know, spending almost the full year in Ireland studying the plants and plant medicine. And when I came back, um, 
I opened an herb shop with my with my partner and in the time since he's taken over running the herb shop entirely but for a number of years i i worked in the store and uh taught herbal classes saw clients yeah um so it it really became my whole life i never i never went back to teaching elementary school i did do a stint um teaching university uh-huh. um i was teaching botanical medicine and i i got to teach in Peru, which so was amazing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it really just started a whole new chapter that I never could have suspected. So would you say then more opportunities came your way? More opportunities came my way and very different opportunities came my way mm. than um, I'd even been aware of before. You know, I mean, if you'd asked me as a 12 year old, you know, do you want to know about plant medicine? I would have looked at you and said, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> it was, it wasn't even in my consciousness as a possibility. Mm. Um, and it, it really, you know, I have to say one of the things that, that it opened up that I found fascinating, I was never good at science in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and through learning plant medicine, um, it opened a doorway in to a different kind of thinking. And after I had the doorway, um, I found that I was able to like go back and take all sorts of classes that I hadn't been able to understand before. That's interesting. Um, and I, yeah. it was really interesting. Um, I worked as a clinical herbalist. I worked with, with hospitals and with doctors. I was able to read scientific papers and understand them. Mm-hmm. So um, it gave me a way to understand something that had previously really sounded like gobbledygook to my ears. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> now, what would you say to the naysayers of magic? Well, you know, I've been a naysayer most of my life, and I found my way out of that um, over a long period of time and step by step. And I think one of the big things for me was working with the plants and seeing um how how much of the plant medicine that has been practiced for a thousand years or or more um, and considered magic or magical is actually now being supported by science? How many of, of our pharmaceuticals are actually made from plants um, that were used for the same exact function mm-hmm. by herbalists for a thousand years? So, you know, Having that information made me realize that these were not two different things, that science and magic were not two different things, that we call something magic until we can explain it. And then all of a sudden it becomes science. And you know, <laughs> now that we're getting into quantum physics and like learning that things can be in two places at once. Right. And, um, <laughs> right. You know, there's, there's uh, an experiment that I talk about in my book, The Night School, where scientists were able to um, collect information in two different forms coming in from deep outer space. So as the information came toward them, they would say in that moment, I want this information in form A or I want this information in form B. And the information would come in in the form they designated. Wow. It was already streaming toward them. Uh And they said, okay, give it to me in B. Okay, give it to me in A. And it was able to shift. And I was like, yeah, science and magic are not two different things. We just um, have to get advanced enough in how we perceive things and how we have like equipment and tools to perceive things. Absolutely. That, um, right, that we can tie it all together. Love that. Now, can you touch briefly on your new book, which is being released soon, called Everyday Magic, A Perpetual Journey for Spiritual Seekers? Yeah, so it's actually a perpetual journal. Journal, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, yeah, and so um, I wrote Letting Magic In based on my journals um, from that period of my life. I had eight journals that I was like combing through. And one of the frustrations of combing through chronological journals is that when you're doing mystical studies and you want to find something specific, you have to try to remember like, oh, what was, where was I when I made that tea? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the autumn. I remember being cold. Let me look through September and October. 
it's a very frustrating way to like recall information. So there's um, this way of keeping a journal called a perpetual journal that's often used by artists. And what they do is they designate a month. So they'll have like a number of pages and they'll write October at the top of them. And then during the month of October, they will go back to those pages and draw whatever it is they're going to draw. And then the next year they come back to the October and they add another picture. The third year back to October, add another picture. And I was like, you know, we could do this for spiritual and mystical studies. Mm -hmm. If you have a journal that is divided into sections, and so you have a section for plant medicine, for astrology, for tarot. Um, and there's lots of sections in the journal that are kind of um, for you to designate and label for yourself absolutely based yeah. on your own studies then instead of right having to write down the page and fill a page you just go in and you write your little note and the next time you have another note about plant healing you put it in the plant healing section <laughs> so you can actually find things again <laughs> well it's it's beautiful the way it's laid out and i imagine it's also a great tool to see your spiritual growth over time right yes yeah yes that's wonderful so it's it's been really exciting for me to find this way of journaling, and I'm hoping that it helps support other people as well. Yeah, awesome. And I know you have some other beautiful books that we don't really have time to share, but the three medicine kingdoms are in which books again do you talk about? So that's the herbiary, the bestiary, and the crystallary. So the medicine kingdoms are animal, vegetable, mineral. So herbiary, bestiary, crystallary. Okay. And then there's also a companion book that comes with those? or. Yeah, separate. so um, it's set. It's separate. It's called the Wild Wisdom Companion. The first three books are called the Wild Wisdom books, and then the Wild Wisdom Companion shows you how to use all those different medicines, the three medicine kingdoms, throughout the course of the year. Awesome. So it's based on the wheel of the year. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, we're out of time for today, but how can my listeners learn more about you and/or purchase your lovely books? So find me at my website, which is mayatoll.com, M-A-I-A-T-O-L-L.com. And my books are sold wherever you normally buy your books. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for being here today and sharing your journey with us. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you to Eric, my amazing producer, and you, the listener, KKNW and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Tune in next Wednesday for the final episode of Love from the Hip presents the Conscious Coaching Hour. Stay kind out there, stay true to you, and don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare ya. Microneedling is a revolutionary treatment that can help reduce the appearance of acne scars, fine lines, pigmentation, wrinkles, even improve the appearance of stretch marks by stimulating collagen and elastin. Sakura Skin and Mind specializes in this procedure that jumpstarts your body's natural healing process. Sakura Skin and Mind believes in not only keeping the skin up to date with the latest trends in the skincare industry, but also keeping the skin beautiful, fast, pretty, painless, and affordable. Find out more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com.